an office, a classroom, a gym. These days, your home is many things. And at Trinity Health of New England, we make it your personal setting for quality care. Our virtual care makes it easy to consult with your primary care provider, your child's pediatrician, or an urgent care provider from wherever you are. Get started at trinityhealthofne.org slash virtual because wellness shouldn't wait. Trinity Health of New England. Virtual care anywhere. Hi, everyone. Welcome. This is Robin Sills from Trinity Health of New England, St. Mary's Hospital. I'm happy you can join us tonight. And that was one of our latest commercials. I'm sure you've been hearing it. We've been playing it um, here during the day on WATR, our favorite listen-to station, and the preferred station at St. Mary's Hospital in Greater Waterbury. So I hope that you enjoyed it. And, you know, we utilize that tonight to start our program um, because it's definitely a focus and a topic we've been talking about, virtual health. And we are definitely going to do the same tonight. I'm very excited, number one, to be in the studio tonight. This is my first time back in WATR. Tom lifted a little bit of the restriction. So it's just me and Johnny K. We are six feet apart. I even have a mask to go up and down if I need to. And I want to personally thank Johnny because while we were doing our show remotely over the last, oh my God, how many months, Johnny? Two months? Yeah, I guess it was about two, two months. months. Yeah, you have yeah. held this show together for me. We never <laughs> skipped a beat. So, Jenny well, Kay, shout out to you. You buddy. did a great job doing, it, especially when you went remote with the tape yeah, recorder. Yeah, we did that, that one remote thing. That I was a little nervous about that. I had to leave in your mailbox for you to take. I was that was our that was our regional president. I left in your mailbox, Johnny. It all worked out good. Oh, so thank you. So again, really excited to be with everyone tonight, and we are go- again going to continue our conversation. Um, regarding virtual health. And we're very excited to have with us tonight Dr. Puya Fatahi. He is a neurologist, recently joined us at St. Mary's Hospital in Trinity Health of New England. Hi, Doc. Hi, how are you? I'm awesome. How are you? Very good, very good. Thank you for having me today. Are you kidding me? I am honored to have you. I know you've been on with me before, but now I feel very blessed to have you on in the capacity that you are part of our Trinity Health of New England Medical Group family. Yes, I'm happy to join. Definitely, it's been an interesting experience and something that I probably should have listened to you years before and do that. (laughs) I was with our uh, the uh, the chief medical officer today, our new medical officer, Doctor. You know, Doctor Chirakuri, and I, um, who was on uh, the radio with me um, just a month ago, and I said, "Oh, I have Doctor Fatahi on the radio with me tonight," and she says, "Oh, you're going to love Doctor Fatahi." He'll be very good. I said, mm. <laughs> I know him well. I I hopefully was the reason to get him. So. Right, that's right, that's right. <laughs> so I also want to tell everyone about um, a role that you have with us at Trinity Health, which is you are our regional chair of neurology for Trinity Health of New England, and you provide clinical oversight in that role, kind of guiding the expansion of our neurology services and our neurology service line within the five hospitals um, as related to our health systems in Connecticut, Massachusetts. That's a pretty important role, and I'm really excited that you are in that in that role. How do you feel about that? It's very exciting. It's very exciting. You know, as you know, healthcare is moving um, at a fast pace, and we need to adapt uh, to um, all the new technology. But at the same time, we need to be able to 
um, make sure that the patient visits has that you know that they come to the hospital or in the office that have been streamlined and become more and more efficient. And I'm I'm glad that I have the opportunity to work with excellent neurologists throughout the state and Massachusetts to basically improve patient access and uh, provide an excellent experience, an experience that would be permanent. Right. And it's important for us as a system, um, Trinity Health of New England and, and Trinity Health of New England Medical Group, for us as a system to take our specialties and look at them across the region and perfect them in such a way that we have we have similar standards, similar processes, and so patients can access the best care. Correct. Correct. And one of the things that we definitely want to do is to share the knowledge that exists within all the neurologists in Trinity. Mm. And That's excellent. Um, you know, let's say more more uh, uh, care that I can provide regarding a condition, let's say epilepsy. Uh, once uh, I'm, I'm exhausted, the things that I know on the way to treat a patient with epilepsy, then I can call in one of our epilepsy attendings and potentially have the patient be seen by them or utilize their expertise locally and be able to do what I need to do to take care of that patient. We had this conversation today with um, with Dr. Chair Curry, and you know, one of the things she was saying, she said, it's just amazing as we bring these um, leaders together, and as we you know bring the specialists together to focus on the service line, sharing the knowledge with each other is it's impactful and sometimes you only get that when you actually are part of a conference right and maybe you connect with a colleague but to be able to have it within your own healthcare system across a five hospital system is is incredible that's right that's that's a powerful you know um, combination of, of different expertise from throughout Connecticut and Massachusetts right you can all put experiences together and neurology is challenging, right? Because it has so many different facets. Correct, correct, correct. And you know, we we always uh, um, joke among ourselves, and we always say, you know, there's everything that you know about cardiac, we already know. Anything that you know about uh, kidney, we already know. But brain, God, we are just scratching the surface. Right. There is. A lot of things that we don't know. There are a lot of conditions that we don't know. And there are a lot of conditions that are related to each other. For example, seizure, you know, we we're talking about that. You know, some patients actually have a stroke that led them to have seizures. So yeah. you have two conditions arising from the same organ, and you have two different specialties in their, on their neurology, you know, a stroke specialist and an and a, a, a epilepsy specialist that are taking care of both patients. And it would be very wonderful to have both of those specialty essentially communicate each other within the same health system. Right. To collaborate on the care of that patient. That's correct. And, and, and to be able to share our resources to, for the best possible treatment of the patient. That's right. Which will be ultimately make the treatment more efficient and right. less costly to the patient and to the system. You know, when we, when we uh, fell into... Um, the world of COVID and our healthcare system was turned upside down. There's a lot of things that happened, right? And there's a lot of things that happened. And 
and a lot of things happened within our medical group. And, you know, I was talking to hospital leadership today and, you know, I'm just getting myself back into the swing of what I did on the road versus doing it virtually because they had a lot of us work remotely. And sometimes we felt a bit... And they, they too, probably, the hospitals felt a bit cut off from each other, right? So we had the medical group in the hospital, everybody focusing on different things. And what I said was what I learned during this process was that our medical group, I could not believe how all of you rallied to the care of the patients and adopted so many different ways of needing, seeing, treating patients in a safe way and environment. Did you feel that too? Absolutely, absolutely. You know, COVID uh, really was one of the worst things that I've experienced in my lifetime. You know, uh, this has been a very tragic, but at the same time, we learn a lot and we learn how to collaborate even more. And we learn how to share the precious resources that we have and still deliver high quality care. And, you know, I can say maybe there is a silver lining to all of this tragedy and that is that we learn how to be able to provide care remotely. You right. know, we've, st- we've done a lot of uh, our visits in our office has been done remotely. And even some of the uh, patients that we're seeing at the hospital, we've done remote visit. You know, it, it, I had one patient, I, I'm gonna give you an example of this lady that she came in with um, uh, COVID and she, um, she was diagnosed, was actually required intubation for a couple of days, then she did well, she was extubated, was on the floor, still on the oxygen, and all of a sudden she developed a stroke symptoms with left-sided weakness, worsening shortness of breath, and we got a CAT scan right away and a CT angiography, in which clearly showed that she has a tightness in one of the blood vessels in the brain, and at the same time, she had a pulmonary embolism. So basically, a blood mm. clot went to her lung. Right. And um, the attending who was there in the room was ICU attending. I said, "Look, you, do you do you have a WhatsApp? You know, because I, I have an Android, and he had an Apple phone, so we couldn't do FaceTime. So I said, let 'Us do a WhatsApp. I'm going to call you right now. Put me on right away with the patient.'" And we discussed her care, and I said, look, we got to push a medication called TPA, and she agreed right away. Yeah. And the medication helped not only the stroke, but also helped um, decrease some of the clot burden that she had in her lung uh, from the blood clot coming up, likely from her leg or because of the COVID. Right. So it was very interesting. We adopted, as you know, we have a high technology in our hospital um, that we use the telestroke right. but at that moment you know in order to be able to deliver care really fast we just used a regular app that people communicate with each other all the time so we realized wait a minute we don't need very expensive technology we can use everyday technology that everybody's using to deliver care in emergency situation that's amazing looking very good yeah and you saved your life Yes, absolutely. You saved your life. Everybody else. We all collaboratively. All of us together. Incredible. So there's a lot of pieces in in that story that, you know, I want to dissect a bit. The first, just to get your opinion on, because this is not the first time I've heard this, and I know we've seen it in the media. Was this the first time that that you um, saw a stroke um, after COVID? Did I lose you, Doc? 
I think I lost yeah. you. Oh, there you are. Oh, we right, lost. Sorry. That's okay. That's so, hey, we're talking about technology, doing a tele... Yeah. You know, tele- <laughs> <laughs> has its ups and downs, right? It has its ups and downs. Or it's it's ups and downs. Well, as long as we got you back, that's a good thing. That's right. That's right. So, you know, this was this actually happened... I want to say it was end of March or beginning of April. So this was very fresh. And I remember when this lady had the stroke. So I, I know I diagnosed the stroke. So the question was, should I give TPA or not? You right. Know, you know, this is a medication that we use for stroke, but there are some contraindications. Uh. So I immediately um, essentially did a, a, a medical research on, on that. And I could not find an article published saying that, yes, TPA is safe or not safe. We, we, there was a lot of article from China saying that, yeah, patients do develop stroke, but none of them really said anything about TPA. So I actually called few few people, some in the Trinity Network, some down at Yale, and actually one at Brigham Women's in Harvard said, look, I have this case, you know. Right. These are all stroke standings. I want to push TPA. Have you guys had any experience? They're like, no, we haven't had a, a case that we needed, that we could push TPA or needed to push TPA. Uh, so basically, I, say, I just spoke with the patient, and I said, look, these are the um, risks, but these are the benefits. So we ended up pushing TPA, and she actually did very well. So we're in the processing of uh, submitting this to different journals. Wow. To get that published. Yeah, it was one of the first cases that we know of in Connecticut. You know, when I contacted folks up in Hartford at St. Francis, at Yale, New Haven, nobody had pushed TPA as of that date. You know, I'm sure after that m- must have happened numerous times. So, so to explain for our audience what TPA is, so it we it's better yeah. known as the clot-busting drug, right? That's right. Yes, absolutely. It's a clot-busting that we give to patients that come in with a stroke within the first four and a half hours. There are certain things that you should be aware of. You know, sometimes in rare cases, less than 6% can cause some bleed. Um, but if the patient already has a bleed in the brain or bleed someplace else or low platelets, you're not supposed to do that. And this lady, you know, she actually was recovering from a low platelet count because wow. coronavirus something can cause the platelet count to drop. And hers just barely made it above the threshold that were it was safe to give TPA. Well, that is absolutely amazing. I mean, you must have been a little bit apprehensive, but knew that you had to do something. That's right. That's right. But I tell you what, the first 24 hours, I couldn't sleep. <laughs> I did not do any harm to that lady. Oh, yeah. So, but thank God. Thank God she did wonderful. She did excellent. She actually didn't need rehab. She went home on her own two feet. So oh, that's wonderful. wonderful. You know, and, and I, can't, I don't know that if we can impress enough upon what even, you know, you spoke about the attending, but I'm sure your experiences throughout this process working with our, our physicians right within the hospital, you know, just the work has been amazing. Absolutely. Absolutely. I have to definitely give a shout out to all the nurses, especially the floor and ICU nurses that were taking care of patients with COVID, as well as the ICU attending and the hospitalists. They they do a great job and, you know, they definitely put their lives, you know, on, 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 on the road to take care of the patients with COVID. So, yeah, I really want to recognize that. I wish I could have done more. But honestly, they, they're doing, doing a lot, you know. Yeah, we were keeping our hospital as COVID-free as we could from people going in and out. 
too. You know, so we were really, you know, focusing the people that were there and they were the frontline staff were truly the frontline. But but having the ability to provide the technology that we can to collaborate with our specialists has been amazing. Now, the other piece that you mentioned, then I really want to get into the virtual medicine and your experiences as a specialist. But I want to talk about telestroke just a tiny bit, because when I think of telestroke and Originally, when that came to fruition um, as St. Mary's to make us a stroke center, I was like, are they going to really be able to do that? And what that really is, is telemedicine. That's right. And so maybe just talk a little bit about how, you know, what telestroke is. And as a neurologist, what happens when a stroke patient comes in and how we utilize it with you? Absolutely. So actually, pre-COVID era, we have been using, uh, using the telestroke um, service for the past, I want to say, three to four years at St. Mary's Hospital. Yep. So all it is, you know, I have a laptop on one end, or I can use my desktop. There's an application on there. And on the other end, at uh, St. Mary's Hospital, both on the floor and in the ER, there's a little machine which has essentially, think of a big screen on couple wheels. Hmm. And I can manipulate the screen, move it left and right, and the patient can see me and I can see the patient. And the camera uh, has a high definition camera essentially. So I'm able to zoom into the eye and actually see the pupil size, which is very impressive. Wow. So when a patient comes in with a stroke symptoms, as I said, we we have four and a half hours to push the medication. So let's say if I'm home or if I'm at the different hospital, that 20 minutes, that time that gets me to come to the hospital, that will be a wasted time. You know, every every 10 minutes that we decrease, every 30 minutes that we, we basically delay the administration of TPA, our chance of recovery goes down by 10%. Wow. You know, think of this every few minutes, you're going to lose tons of brain cells. So the faster that we act on that, the better it is. So patient will come in, the ER doctor would do a quick evaluation, send them for a CAT scan right away, and then they call me and we discuss the case kind of preliminarily. Right. And as the patient comes back from the CAT scan, I jump on the call uh, with the telestroke and I'm able to essentially um, see the patient right away. And, and the, most of the time, there's either a nurse or a physician at the bedside of the patient so we can uh, do a quick examination evaluation together. And then we, if I feel that this patient needs TPA or will benefit from TPA, I discuss the case not only with the attending present there, but also with the patient. And usually we obtain a verbal consent. And if this is something that, you know, that he qualifies or she qualifies, we push TPA right away. Right, right. away. Usually the TPA, if I think that the patient is going to need TPA based on my initial discussion with the ER attending, when the patient is under CAT scan and going through the CAT scan, we instruct the pharmacy to have the medication ready to go. You have to mix it so it takes a few minutes. Yep. So the medication is up by the bedside. And if we feel that this is what we need to do, we'll push the medication right away. And we are doing very good as far as the timing. You're supposed to give less than 60 minutes per, per the CMS guidelines, one of those goals that you have to reach. And we are really doing very well with that. It's incredible because you think about the time saved because if you call a physician and say, you need to come in, I think we have a potential stroke, you could be on the other side, way on the other side of Waterbury, hit traffic, whatever, to try to get here, and you've wasted all that time. With the use of telestroke, we save everything. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's amazing. It's been amazing. 
It's incredible, you know, and I and I when we talked about virtual health, I couldn't help but think about telestroke. So I'm so glad you brought that up in this conversation regarding this patient because truly we have been utilizing it. So let's look to now, okay, so we're 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 going into the COVID timing and we were challenged with how are we going to deliver care to our patients? And I know Trinity was incredibly um, for, forward-thinking in utilizing this technology of telemedicine to be able to come up with a great platform for our doctors to use. And I know Dr. Manjula Chirakuri championed that from her end and was able to execute it across the board for us in pretty quick form. So how was your experience, we'll say, first of all, during COVID with it, and how did you use it? Yes, so we were able to um, jump on the platform that Trinity had provided uh, for all of their doctors, and we were able to utilize that really from day one. And uh, we were, you know, our office, uh, we had to limit the patients that are seen at a given time and we limit that mainly to patients that need a procedure like emg or botox or new patient otherwise for our follow-up visits the first two months we were just strictly doing televisit only Mm. and the way that it worked i actually would call up on the patient on a phone number first using our phone and if they had a camera or they had a cell phone that was capable of of having the camera, I would send them a link and they'll be able to log in within a minute. And uh, we're able to conduct the visit over the phone uh, or over the internet with audio video. And the uh, patient did very well and they actually liked the technology. I definitely say I, I like the technology. Yeah, um, and, and uh, it kept them safer too. And it kept the staff yeah. safer and you were able to Absolutely. deliver care. Absolutely. So essentially, we minimize the in, any impact on on the uh, delivery of the care by using televisit. Now, can you imagine if patients were not seen for two or three weeks and they had chronic condition like, let's say, epilepsy or seizure or uh, multiple sclerosis or dementia, things like that? You want to make sure that you're able to evaluate the patient in a timely fashion manner and you know um, alleviate if there are any concerns, alleviate those concerns, refill the medication, look at their you know, progress. So and you can see them. You, you know, we've had conversations with primary care physicians um, on telemedicine. So this is really the first conversation regarding specialty. So, you know, with primary care medicine, too, one of the things I know Dr. Dr. Seth Klohosi was saying to me, he said, you know, he said, what I found interesting was I was able to actually see people in their environment. And they communicated to me better than they would in the office. And I was able to say to them, you know, I'm a little concerned about your, you know, your, where your stairs are or, or your setup, where, how you get to the bathroom or, or what, where you go to go to bed, your bedroom. And they would take their phone and just bring <laughs> Dr. Klohosi around the house around. to show them. And you don't have that opportunity yeah. in, in, any other way. That's right. No, that's right. And another thing, interesting thing is that you mentioned you could talk to the, all of the family members right. at the same time. You know, and uh, some of the some of the patient, I was actually able to make a three way conversation with uh, with a different family member or son or daughter who lived in a different state. Yeah. So that was actually another interesting use of this this technology. I think that's excellent point, Doc, because you know when we when patients set their appointments up, family can't always leave work, you know, but they can definitely dial in 
you know, on a break from work or, you know, if they live, like you said, if they live in a different state. Plus, sometimes it's difficult for family members to even get or and for patients to get there with no rides. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I have a lot of patients who live in Massachusetts, who live in New York or New Jersey. But for whatever reason, they must have liked me. So they like (laughs) me to remain as their doctor. So sometimes they travel two hours to come and see me. And, you know, most of the time they have their daughter or their son drive them. So they had to take time off. And obviously by the time they come and go, half of their day is gone. Right. So with this technology, I can provide the same care over the internet and, and examine them. Of course, if there's a problem or if there's a concern, I'm going to have them come and see me in person. Right. But imagine how much uh, of time um, is saved, how much cost is saved for the patient for travel, and potentially it will increase uh, the health of, of the community, you know, because they will, they will be able to have regular follow-ups, regular checkups. There's not going to be any missed appointment for right. Uh, due to uh, difficulty with transportation. And pre-COVID area, we, we used to see, I want to say about 5 to 10% of our patients that had chronic condition couldn't make it to their appointment because they couldn't drive or they couldn't find anybody to bring them. And if you, I don't know, if, you, if some of my patients were telling me that it would cost them two, $300 to get a taxi or to oh, get one of those special vans to bring them to the to the office for a 10 minute, 15, 20 minute appointment. Yeah, we were, I had gotten many calls from from um, my practice managers seeing who, how, who they could reach out to for assistance with a patient who just couldn't get in for their appointment and they couldn't afford the transportation. And, and, and you know, we're, we've been lucky because now uh, Campion Ambulance is part of Trinity Health of New England, which is huge. So we've been able to adopt a little bit of a different platform and, and pay, or, pay or mix for patients to be able to access that which is another great service but you know i always think of that snowstorm right or slip or icy weather and the offices are still open but we don't want to our challenge patients to come in that's right that's right that's right so we are we're actually happy that cms allowed you know um, this type of visits to happen and they recognize that this is a part of healthcare, and because of what we've proven to uh, different uh, entities, governmental entities. Right now, I believe that this will be here, you know, for a long while. You know, this televisit is not going anywhere, and we are definitely going to continue to incorporate that to take care of our patients, especially patients that are that have trouble coming to the office. Right, that is definitely a great tool. So you know, we're looking to make this part of our everyday normal practice within Trinity Health of New England. I think it's a great a great thing. So first question I have is, what do you think your potential patient um, percentage is right now? And do you think it'll become greater with telemedicine? Yes, definitely. I can't tell you exactly how many, just because we see a very you know, wide variety of a condition right. and right. age group. But I want to say at least 20 to 30% of our practice huh. could go on televisit you know, easily with this understanding that if a patient has a Concern, or if I see something that I don't like on an evaluation, that are all, they're always welcome to come to our office. And actually, we've done that in the past couple months. When I examined somebody, there was one case that the patient reported that had difficulty walking. And hmm. when I examined them on the phone over the internet, it was a little bit difficult to assess exactly what is the problem. And the patient has 
Parkinson's disease, so it could have been contributed to that. Right. But I requested them to come at the you know end of the day or early in the morning, so there was no patient in waiting area, and they came in. And on my exam, actually, I figured out, wait a minute, this patient difficulty walking is not only because of the Parkinson, but there is a um, essentially a cervical cord compression, so they have a disc <laughs> in the neck that is on the spinal cord. So it's important to stay vigilant. And, and if you see any anything that doesn't look right on, on the televisit, the patient will come in. And I can tell you, everybody, anybody that I asked them to come in, they, they did. They did right. listen, and they were more than happy to come in. Are you starting to see that the patients that do need to come in are less apprehensive? Because that was one of the things, you know, when I had Dr. Edion, our our, um, CEO and president of Trinity Health of New England, he was, you know, we were letting everyone know it's safe to come back. But are you noticing, because I'm starting to notice people are feeling more comfortable. Are you noticing that within the practice? Yes, absolutely. And they have one or two, three patients Making the comment, hey, you're the first place that we've we've been we've come out of the house. We came to your office. You're the first place we haven't even been to grocery shopping. We've done everything online. You're the first one to come in, and they're really nicely dressed when they come. In. <laughs> they're getting out of those yoga pants. <laughs> That's right. Just say we wanted to look extra good to come. I'm like, yes, I'm glad. I'm glad to to help you. Oh, that's so funny. Well, you know, when you look at the virtual visit and you and you know of course during COVID I think it was just to get it done right and now we're working on um, taking the platform that we put out there and ensuring that the continuity of care that's attached to it is important is in place and that we're doing everything as if you were in an inpatient setting. So from a neurology perspective, if you do a telemedicine visit, what are some of the key steps you need to have in place for that patient during the call and then as a follow-up? So it's interesting to know uh, because we treated those televisits from day one as Mm. if it was a real visit, in person Mm. visit. So we didn't take any shortcuts. You know, we right. started with the. Actually, I was doing check them in. Believe it or not, I learned how to do a check in. <laughs> Good job. Exactly. <laughs> it's difficult. It's not easy. No. Neurology is easy. Doing check in, check out. That's the difficult part. But anyway, <laughs> so uh, we started with that. We started with review of you know how are they doing in general, the health. You know, we reviewed all their medication, seeing if they needed any refill reviewed any of the new imaging or lab that were done, and we documented. You know, the only difference was that I was able to document everything that I needed, except for some small part of the neurological exam that you really need to have uh, the patient present. For example, right. checking the reflexes, right? Yep. Or checking the visual acuity. Those are difficult to do over the, uh, over the internet, but uh, otherwise everything else we were able to do. So you, if you look at my notes from the televisit versus a regular encounter that we have in person, right. you really can't tell the difference except that if it's a televisit, I write this was a televisit. Otherwise, right. everything else, we kept it the same. So a couple things I want to follow up. So you, you, just making the point about the few things that you can't do. So what um, are there particular patients that um, are better suited for a telemedicine visit within your specialty? Yes. So patients, for example, if a patient has dementia, right, Mm. usually that's 
by itself, you know, there's no changes on exam except for memory. And I could conduct the memory exam just if they were here. So I asked them to to remember a few words and I asked them later. Mm-hmm. I'll ask for the dates, things like that, which I can document. So it's called mini mental status exam or MOCA examination. You can put that in the note and, and continue to follow. There are patients, for example, for seizure, that they have seizure and they've been stable. So usually they come in every six months for refill. We check, make sure everything is the same, no new seizure, and how are they doing with the medication, maybe check a level, order an EG once a year. And you know what? We could do this over the phone. They don't have to come in. Um, people really appreciate that. So there are certain conditions that can be done. You know, certain conditions, no, it's best if they come in person. And that's, that's, that could be variable. But even on one disorder, for example, if it's multiple sclerosis, if they have mild disease and they're not having any new flare-up, yeah, we could do televisit. But if they have a, a disease that is more progressed or they have new flare-up, I'd rather see them in person if they're able to make it to the office. Definitely. So so your staff knows that ahead of time, and they are able to book the patient based on what the, the patient's diagnosis is and their history. Correct. And they actually, when they call the patient, let's say, for appointment, they, they are offered, would you like to come in person or would you like to do tele? Especially initially, we, as I said, the first couple months, three months, we were strictly televisit on the follow-ups. But right. now, for the past week or two, because things are getting better, um, some patients do want to come. Some patients do want to do it over the phone. So we kind of let that patient decide. Right. It's funny because I, you know, I'm seeing things are are getting busier, right? So there's more cars on the road. There's definitely more people in our in our parking lots at our medical buildings. And you're seeing, you know, you're just seeing people. It's kind of like after a big storm, everybody coming out to see what's going on. And but everybody's starting to get back into the swing of things. And and I think it's important to remember that we as a healthcare organization still don't take those inpatient ver. Um, visits lightly in regards to patient safety. So maybe, you know, quickly we can let our patients know and the community know what we're doing to make sure they're safe. Absolutely. So as far as the inpatient, you know, uh, we had a restriction as far as the visitors, a number of visitors that can come in. And uh, everybody definitely had to wear a mask when they presented right. to the hospital and wear gloves and they had temperature checked. And that not only goes for a patient's family, but also for ourselves. Like every day that I come to the hospital, both hospitals, uh, I get checked twice. I got checked twice today, too. Exactly. <laughs> Even though if I leave and come back, I'm like, I, I was just here. I know. I'm like, nope, probably got to get checked out. So, <laughs> I know. So, and I tell you, I like these infrared thermostats better than, you know, the under the tongue thermostats or yeah. the ones that they go across your forehead. So, definitely. So interesting. Except if you're hot flashing, Doc. That's a little nervous. You get a little nervous if it's going to be too hot. I cannot comment on that. You can't comment. All right. I'm just a neurologist. (laughs) But yeah, in the office setting itself, I know that the medical group throughout COVID, because you've been open throughout all of COVID, which to me is unbelievable. But we actually, most of our, all of our practices have been open, just look some, you know, some have moved around to different locations just to to keep our our colleagues in in different places. But 
we have had an amazing group of, of leaders within the medical group keeping our staff safe as well as our patients. Yes, absolutely. And that's, that's the key. You know, that's the key. Um, you got to keep the staff pay, help, help, happy and healthy. Absolutely. And we know that checking the temperature, you know, I mean, that's happening everywhere. I, every single, I mean, I, I was in two different hospitals today. I was at St. Mary's, then I was at St. Francis, and then I had to go to a practice. And I had, so three times I had my temperature taken today. It was the same at each one, so I I think that's good then. I felt pretty accurate. I kept checking. I said, what was it? What was it? So I've been 97.8 all day, so I'm going to Even better than this, you know, better than what makes me very happy is to see patients coming in with a mask and and gloves. I've yet to see a patient in the past, let's say, two months that will come to the office and didn't have a mask on, all right? And, uh, you know, we've had most patients actually would do wear gloves. And I've had mm. a couple of patients that they told me, Doc, I can't, I can't find gloves. I can't. Yeah. So I actually said, you know what, you know, Trinity is not looking. Let me take some of the gloves <laughs> and put them you. you know, so I would give them, you know, 10 pair or 15 pair. I said, just have it with you. And you know, especially you live in the office right now. You're going to touch a bunch of doorknobs that all the other patients in the building have been touching. Right. So you get to your So why don't you wear one right now? Yeah. And, you know, so we got to keep the patients healthy and as much as we can, as, as, you know, as yeah. long as we can. As the safety can. precautions, they, they definitely need to be in place all the way around. Um, in going back to virtual health a little bit, I know one of the biggest part of your practices, too, are individuals with migraines. And um, twofold, I guess the question is, is did you see, um, because sometimes migraines are brought on by a variety of reasons, but, you know, I know stress always brings on one for me. But have did you see um, during COVID an increase um, in patients either being referred for migraines or um, migraine patients that you normally treat have an increase in their um, outreach to you for services? Yes. So you actually touched a very interesting point. So yes, there are a lot of patients who have migraine and who experience increased migraine instead of really stress because of everything that was going on, especially the first few weeks of the you know home home stay order. Hmm. And uh, for those patients, if we could just talk to them over the phone and and explain the situation, most of them were happy. Some of them required additional. You know, anti-muscle, uh, rela- you know, kind of muscle relaxing medication, or in few cases, I actually had to tell them to come to the office so I could give them a little injection of a steroid to calm down some of their headaches because wow. uh, I really did not want them to get to the point that they needed to go to the ER. I did not want to burden the ER with patients. This is the time that every single patient would present to the ER with COVID symptoms. So, so we tried our best to. To prevent that from happening, if I needed a CAT scan, I would just call one of the St. Mary's Hospital uh, um, related uh, imaging center outside the hospital and would be able to arrange for a start CAT scan or an MRI right. and try to handle everything outside the hospital. But yes, no, you're right. There was there were increased number of patients with migraine headaches and or increased patients with neck spasm because some people will have just neck tenderness due to increased stress. Wow. I would say it was especially the first six weeks. And after that, once people know exactly what's going on, how to keep themselves safe, I think that really started to drop. The numbers started to drop. Well, one of the first things they talked about 
um, with the onset of COVID was this horrendous headache. You know, people complained about yeah. a really bad headache. So I could see that, number one, there's stress in that. But if you have migraines, now you're thinking about it. And now, is it a migraine or is it COVID? That's right. That's right. And our job was try to give a reassurance if they didn't have any other symptoms. Right. You know, and, they not. and it's interesting that you brought this uh, up because some of the patients that presented to the hospital, I've had few patients that presented solely with seizure, right? And there's a patients that they had absolutely no history of seizure before, huh. no stroke. You go to, you do an MRI, looks good. You, and then we asked for a COVID testing or, or chest CT. And lo and behold, they had COVID. And oh one of their gosh. initial presentation was actually seizure. Oh my so gosh. we, some of them were difficult to treat. Like I had to put them on three different anti-epileptic medici- medications while they were getting treated for COVID. Thankfully, there were not that many. There were not that many, but as I said, we learned different things with this uh, with this pandemic. Yeah, and you don't know, was the seizure brought on by or maybe a migraine that was undiagnosed because the migraine was induced by the COVID, or did we find COVID just because we found COVID? I think I think it was mostly because of COVID directly. Yeah. You know, wow. You know, it caused seizure, but Thankfully, there were not that many cases. Wow, thank goodness. But that's so interesting. I would have never thought that. You know, and, and you, know, you bring up really another a good piece is that, you know, it wasn't just primary care. It wasn't just emergency medicine. It wasn't just pulmonary medicine um, seeing these patients on the front line. It was almost every single specialty that this touched. You're correct. You're correct. You've had patients you've been seen by GI doctors. You had patients seen by uh, kidney doctors, cardiologists, neurologists, different, and of course, infectious disease. Right, different infectious spectrum. disease. Oh, Doctor Sims would be mad at me if I forgot the most <laughs> one of the most important teams, our infectious know, disease team. No, I know they were very busy, and they will continue to be busy. But definitely, they they've done an amazing job. As you know, I don't, I don't want to forget to mention because we're talking we're talking a little bit about migraines, but I want to make sure that um, we um, also um, acknowledge your incredible partner, Dr. Kozurski, because I know migraines is a big specialty within her neurology practice. Absolutely, absolutely, and uh, and you know, Dr. Kozurski and I, we both together when we decided to keep the office open. Um, the two of us, we had an honest discussion and we sat down and we said, look, these are the risks that we're going to face by keeping the office open for ourselves and our family. But at the same time, um, if we don't do it, there's nobody else as far as neurology be able to provide care for, for the community. You know, so so one of the first thing that we did, we were able to secure um, some N95 masks. And I, as soon as I, I got them, I distributed among all of us, including our our, our uh, medical assistant, or check in, check out, um, and uh, everybody in the office, so we we could minimize the potential impact to them. And we decided to keep the office open, take care of patients, and again, especially patients with migraine, because if they have bad headache and they can't get in, guess where they're gonna have to go? They have to go to the, the ER. And we're trying so hard to minimize it, right? That's right. That's right. What you know, Dr. Kozurski, um, you mentioned Botox, and I know that's also a really big deal. Can you talk just really quickly on Botox and migraines? I know it's a little off topic, yeah. but we since we're talking yeah. migraines, <laughs> we might I as know, well. I know. 
That's right. So, you know, Botox itself has been out for 60 years. We know um, we've used it for different conditions over the years. But for the past 15 to 20 years, it has had an FDA approval for migraine headaches. So once patients fail two different medication and they have a lot of headaches more than 15 a month, we recommend Botox. And I think the two of us together, we, I want to say, we have over a thousand patients that we do Botox for a variety of conditions, mostly for migraine. I want to say 80% of our Botox is dedicated to migraine and has been helping a lot. I joined the practice in 2013 and the past now, what, seven years, I've had patients that every three months, they are here, even in the middle of snowstorm or middle of COVID, to want me to get their Botox because they say, if I don't get it, I'm going to be debilitated. You know, so they said that five minutes of, of uh, essentially getting an injection is worth the three months of improvement that they get from their headaches. And what does the Botox do for the migraine, essentially? So, so, yes, so there are different hypotheses. One of them, they're thinking it could decrease some of the tension from the smooth muscles in the blood vessels huh. that are intracranially. It helps on an current nerve number five called trigeminal nerve and uh, it relaxes some of the meningeal artery blood vessels which could lead to essentially cessation of the migraine another thing that we know it is a, it is a powerful muscle relaxer so it does relax a lot of different muscles in the neck and the scalp which also could lead to a less headache wow and and it works does it work for everyone or not not everyone so we are really, we really do a great job trying to um, figure out why is the patient having migraine? Oh, is the migraine coming from the neck or do they have true migraine? Or maybe they have tension headache or they have different kinds of headaches. So it works well if you're able to find the proper candidate for the, for the, for the, uh, for the injection. That said, I want to say about 5% or 10% of the patients that have pretty severe migraine Botox alone may not be enough, and sometimes we have to do Botox with newer agents that are out there or in combination with, with uh, uh, medication such as, let's say, Indorel, Propanolol, right. or uh, tablets that have been used in the past. So there are about 5 to 10% of patients that Botox alone is not enough, but 90%, they do really good. Do you find it to be more men or more women with migraines that present to you? More female, more women. It's more women, right? That's right. That's right. I, you know, I, I myself have had them over the definitely over the years, but I've learned, yeah. you know, what to do, and I learned that most times I just need to increase my fluid. I truly try not to take anything. Um, I think it was you who told me never to use a certain thing over the counter. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I won't the say that. I don't even think that product's on the counter yes. or on the counter anymore, over the counter yes. anymore. But and I and I don't take any, and I increase my fluid, and I watch my caffeine, and I really try to to do other things. So I'm fortunate because I have been able to do that. But there are people that it's just incredibly debilitating. And why is it more female? We don't know. We don't know. I mean, there is a hypothesis that could be related to hormones, but, you know, everything, we blame it on hormones. Everything's related to hormones. Exactly. The reason why exactly. I punch my husband in the in the nose is, is my hormones. <laughs> so it could be that. It could be a stress. It could be muscle spasm that is felt more. It's tough to say. It's right. difficult to say. Remember, we still don't have a clear hypothesis 
of why do we even get migraine? There are different, you know, I mean, there's, I'm sorry, there, we have different hypotheses, but we don't have any of them that are proven 100%. So, so it's tough to say. I, you know, I, I hear, you know, I hear what you're saying to me, and, and it, it's, it's just, I think, individuals out there that suffer for them. It's one of the most frustrating and debilitating things. And, you know, as tonight we're talking about that virtual health and our care, it is one of the things that is kind of on the edge because you really probably need to become in unless you're just being evaluated for medication. That's one of those diagnoses that needs to come in to get the Botox. That's right. That's right. That's right. We, we you know, I wish we had such a technology right. that I could do it virtually, but I don't I don't think that's going to be possible. No, absolutely. Anytime. That's right. That's right. But, you know, we always recommend patients to come in for any of their procedures, for EMG, for Botox, right. for occipital nerve block. And, uh, and even for new patients, if they can come in, we definitely want them to come in in person. But for any follow-ups, any patients that are stable, yeah. We we are we really embraced the televisit, and we're actually very glad that CMS, uh, Center for Medicaid and Medicaid uh, Services, have relaxed some of the rules because you know we tried to do that in the past, and we were unable to do it you know prior prior to COVID. But now they recognize that this is a necessity, and they recognize that we are able to provide the same quality of care. And they're they're allowing that to happen. You know, I I, I do a, some work with the veteran um, hospitals as well. Yeah. I take care of my patients with stroke. So actually, I've been doing telestroke with the VA for the past I want to say <clears throat> almost four or five years. Wow. And so up to now, we're about uh, we're I want to say I lost the camp honestly, but I think we have sixty to sixty five pay uh, sixty to sixty five hospitals wow. in the network. So we've been actually using FaceTime to to deliver care. So there's really good data from the rural health, from the VA hospitals to show that, you know, the neurologists are able to provide care, not only for telestroke, but also other conditions um, given the chance, especially in the areas that are, for example, South Dakota, there are places that are not the neurologists for six hours. Patients have to drive for six hours to get there. And, you so, know, as I'm they look happy. at that, that's got to only help to keep telemedicine as part of a normal scope of practice as they look at all that's these different right. things, right? That's right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Is there a sense between yourself and your colleagues that we have the potential for that to happen? I mean, I, I do you feel with yourself and your colleagues that, you know, next year we're going to be in the same place with this? You know, yes, but also what's reassuring is looking at what is happening uh, in Washington, D.C. Okay. This, is, this, this, this is one of the things that there is bipartisan support, both in the Republic and Democratic area, that they, they do agree that this needs to be made a rule and not an exception, meaning that their um, insurance companies and different entities, governmental entities, will need to recognize that Televisit is here to stay and should be incorporated as part of many tools that we have to provide excellent care to the patients. You know, one of the neat things, I, I forgot to bring this up earlier, but that we're looking to do on our platform, which I think might be really, um, you know, you mentioned bringing in the family in, you know, into a call and part of a visit. But we may have the opportunity within our own medical group when a primary care physician has a patient on to call one of the specialists, and if there's opportunity, you jump right on to have a conversation with that patient. 
Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Currently, uh, at this point, let's say if there's a patient that the family care, family practitioner is very worried, they usually send me a text or call me, and I have the patient come right after their visit. Once they're done with their visit, they come to see us in the office. But it would be wonderful to be able to do it between us, the primary care doctor, or even, let's say, cardiologist, because right. we share a lot of patients with cardiology, <laughs> and have a visit right then and then, all three of us together being on the line and you know discuss the care and, and arrive at the at decision right away That's instead awesome. of waiting well dr fatahi we only have a couple of minutes left but left believe it or not so before i um let you leave in your new role um at trinity health of new england as our regional chair of neurology what are some of the things that you hope to see or accomplish um in the next year maybe Absolutely. You know, neurology is uh, one of the fields that there's not enough of us, Mm -hmm. right? So there is not enough neurologists to go around in not only the region, but in the country. And we have excellent neurologists throughout our health system in Trinity. So my goal is to be able to provide care for any patient at any of wherever they live, in Connecticut or Massachusetts, and if they need a, a certain subspecialist or certain neurologist to be able to visit them and, uh, and examine them, I'm hoping that we're able to provide that in a timely fashion and, uh, and essentially be able, that patient be able to utilize the experience from different neurologists with different backgrounds. And definitely we want to standardize the care. So if a patient comes to St. Mary's or St. Francis and gets discharged or comes and see me or another neurologist at St. Francis as an outpatient, that they have the same type of plan and goal, individualized for that patient, but at least in a standard fashion right. so that the care will be seamless. Dr. Fatahi? Thank you so much for joining us. Dr. Puya Fatahi, our our newest team member of Trinity Health of New England Medical Group Neurology and our regional chair of neurology for Trinity Health of New England. He's at 1625 Straits Turnpike Suite 307 in Middlebury, 203-758-8995. And you can go on trinityhealthofne.org or you can still go on stmh.org and click on our brand new website, find a physician and put his name in and you'll be able to see all about him. Doc, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. I appreciate it. It was a pleasure talking to you. You too, Doc. Talk to you soon. Have a great night. Absolutely. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So I want to thank everybody for joining um, me this evening. I hope that um, we were able to um, update you and educate you on some of the latest things happening with our with our, I'm taking off my headphones, sorry, Johnny, uh, update you on our telemedicine and how exciting it is. And can just can tell you from a personal level as a nurse for many, many years, um, this is definitely a new world for me. And um, I'm doing it with my docs, supporting them any way I can, and really taking this telemedicine and embracing it. And we are so honored and blessed to have some new leadership um, that's come our way, um, especially um, Dr. Ugo, Dr. Chara Curry, who are leading our medical group into an incredible new world. And very excited to have our local docs um, joining Trinity Health of New England, being part of it. So Robin Sills, St. Mary's Hospital, Trinity Health of New England, have a safe and wonderful weekend. Thank you.